church. Wow. The last few times I preached, I've been up here, and Betsy and Sonia were the only ones here, plus <laughs> Betsy's uh, camera. And uh, like uh, Cody, it's good to say that we are no longer online, although we will be online, but we can meet together. Thank you to the praise team. Don't they do a wonderful job? Amen. Yes. I'd like to read from the 29th Psalm. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hands the hinds to calf and discovereth the forest, and in his temple does every one speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people, the Lord will bless his people with peace. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, how good it is for us to assemble together on this day thanking you for every good and every perfect gift that you bestow upon your people. Father, thou art truly gracious and loving and kind to us, far more than we could ever deserve. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word as it directs us into the way that we should conduct ourselves as your people and as it describes to us how we are to worship you, the Lord God. Almighty. Help us and accept our worship this morning, dear Heavenly Father, that truly you will be glorified and your people will be uplifted. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. I like what J.P. Rotherham has to say about the 29th Psalm in his small commentary. He says, this is a magnificent psalm, acquisite in form, splendid in imagery, lofty in sentiment, and probably prophetic in adumbration. We can scarcely fail to perceive how fitting an instrument for producing it was a sweet singer of Israel who penned the 8th, the 18th, and the first part of the 19th, all of which the gift of reflecting the beauty of creation can be detected. Perhaps the most precious element in the psalm is the firmness with which it grasps the manifestation in nature of Jehovah, the God of grace, the thunder of the tempest of his voice. Scarcely less precious a feature is the light swiftness of the movement by which, in the opening stanza, heaven and earth are united, 
and at the close the past runs into the future. He that sat enthroned on the flood sits enthroned still. He who executes judgment then is guiding all towards blessing on and through his people in ages to come. Meanwhile, though the storms are still raging here below, heavenly worshipers, as though an open door is permitted to let us know that everything is being well guided to that great far off event to which the whole creation moves. The God of nature is a God of grace. Jehovah is no tribal God, but the master of heaven and earth. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, says the psalmist David in the 29th Psalm. The primary purpose for attending a worship service is to praise and worship and glorify the God our Father in heaven. The psalmist wrote, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before our Maker. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care, in the 95th Psalm. Worship is more than singing a few songs, performing the rituals that we do, and listening to a sermon. It is a time that we can renew our pledge to obey his commandments and seek his honor. William Temple says, worship is the submission of all our nature to God, submitting wholly and completely to God in worship. What we do in the hour of corporate worship each week is a reflection of how we are going to spend the other 167 hours a week. This sets the precedent for our week. God despises corporate worship when it is done in an improper way. In Amos, the fifth chapter, he tells us, beginning with the 21st verse, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not, not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat feast. Take thou away from me the noise of the, of the songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. But let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. God was not pleased with Israel because they served him half-heartedly and gave their devotion to false gods. How does that apply to us? Well, let us think about our worship service. Is God pleased with it? Are we doing things to honor and glorify his name? Is our, our thoughts always upon him? Or do our minds wander and we forget sometimes while we are here? Paul tells us in Romans 12:1, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, 
And this is our spiritual act of worshiping. Offering ourself, our all, to God is what worshiping is all about. Jesus says that we are the light of the world. During the week, we are small lights that are scattered about in our communities and where we work and study and live. But we come together and we become a shining light, glorifying God together. When we gather for cor corporate worship is a time that we create that great uh, light. We need to be asking our ourselves three questions about corporate worship. First of all, is our worship honoring God? Is our worship honoring God? And then does it inspire, uplift, and transform the worshiper? Are we different people when we leave here? And finally, is it powerful enough to draw visitors closer to an encounter with Jesus Christ? We gather together to worship God. Many times there's a wrong concept of why we are here and what we do. We see many times on the stage performers in front of us and we as an audience. That is not the purpose of worship. If there were a special, do we say, oh, I did or I didn't like the song that, we, that she sang? Rather than ask, did that song glorify God? Or if the youth group or others would put on a drama or a play, do we say, oh, that was good, or I didn't like that so much? Or we should be asking, did it glorify God? And of course, when we hear a sermon, do we say, well, that was a six out of a 10? Or maybe I should say a two out of a 10, I don't know. <laughs> Rather than, should we be saying, did that bring us closer to God and explain his word to us and help us to worship God? If a sports team won a championship and there was a celebration for that sports team, would you walk away and say, oh, I didn't like that? You would probably have been enthused and excited as we should be when we come together on the Lord's Day or any time we come together to worship God. Psalms 29.2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Revelation 14.7 tells us, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Most people worship God as if God were the prompter, the leader was the performer, and the people in the uh, pews the audience. That is not the way it is. In actuality, the leader is the prompter. The congregation, we are performing our duty of glory and honor to God, and God is the witness. 
Our goal is to please him. Our goal is to bring glory to God and express gratitude for his goodness. We should be saying as we leave here this morning, that was great. I hope that God knows how much we appreciate him and what God does for us. In biblical worship, two ingredients are always present. First of all, a sense of awe. People make fun of me because I think that word awe is a scriptural biblical term and not one to be taken lightly. How awesome is God? How many times in the Bible does it talk about the awesomeness of God? When we and also a sense of joy should be ours when we leave this place. When we come into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our appropriate response is one of wonderment and reverence. Remember back in the book of Isaiah, how Isaiah came into the presence of God is found in the sixth chapter. If you have your Bibles, you want to look at that with me? In the sixth chapter of Isaiah, the first few verses, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am, man, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The presence of God is awesome. We need to seek more often in our lives the presence of God. Again, reading about the presence of God in Psalms, the eighth chapter this time. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou hast visited him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put everything under his feet. All sheep and oxen, and yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is, the na is thy name in all the earth. When David contemplated 
the presence of God, he realized, what are we, man? We've been made in the image of God. He's given us dominion over the earth, but we are still small in his sight. He is glorious. He is magnificent. Also, a sense of joy should be seen. Awe in the presence of God doesn't rule out gladness and joy. Biblical worship is characterized by overwhelming sense of joy in the hearts of God's people. In the second chapter of the book of Acts, we have the beginning of the church. Peter preached unto the people and over 3,000 people responded and were baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. The Bible said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in the breaking of bread and in prayer. But that chapter ends by saying, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Glad, joy, and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Their hearts were glad because the God of the universe had visited them in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. They were glad because God cared enough for them that he would die for them and shed his blood that we might have the remission of sins. Isn't that a great reason for joy? We have an, an eternal purpose for our being. Let us shout with the psalmist in the 100th Psalm, praise God, praise God, praise God. Genuine worship also inspires the worshiper. The primary purpose, of course, for us coming together is to worship the great God, Jehovah of heaven. But David said in Psalms 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I think this quarantine, this uh, house imprisonment, as my wife calls it, made us glad when we finally realized that we could worship together again. Many times when things are taken from us is the time that we learn to appreciate them the most. God ordained worship, not just because he deserves it, but because we also need to worship. A song states, we get lifted up when we praise his name. How uplifting it is when we praise the name of Jesus Christ. What should we expect to receive from worship? <coughs> excuse, me. excuse me. William Hendricks wrote a fascinating book that's called Exit Interviews, and it revealed many stories of why people were leaving the church. And one of the reasons that they gave for leaving the church was boredom. They were bored. That's amazing. We don't come to worship to be entertained, and many times that's the mindset of people. We come to worship God. How can we be bored when we worship God? Paul established the church in Corinth. 
After he left, he heard of many problems that had arisen in the church. And so he wrote them a couple of the letters to encourage them and to try to address these problems. One of the problems that he was addressing was that of worship. Uh, back then, of course, we didn't have the complete Bible. And so with the laying on of the apostles' hands, spiritual gifts were given to people so that they could build up the church. One of the gifts was the gift of speaking in tongues, and people became boastful. We have the best gift, they said. And Paul had to straighten them out and say, no, it wasn't the best gift. But then he describes in the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, in the 26th verse, a worship service in that time. He says, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm or a song, has a doctrine or a teaching, has a tongue, and here was the problem with the tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let, us, let all things be done unto edifying. I would have liked to have been in one of those early services, wouldn't you? I think sometimes how wonderful it would be to have a small group on Sunday evening where when we came together, we could pray, we could sing, but most of all, we could discuss what God was doing for us and with us during the week, just sharing the things of God together. How edifying, how wonderful that is. The most important benefit of a worship service is the awesomeness and the awareness of the presence of God. People come to church because they expect God to be there. When Sonia and Betsy and I were in the service, taping the service for Sunday morning, the Bible says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am also, the very presence of God. Blaise Pascal said, there is a God-shaped hole in every heart that only God can fill. It was amazing to read where Ann Sullivan, who taught Helen Keller how to do sign language and opened up a whole new world to this deaf and blind student. One day she said to Helen, Helen, today I'm going to teach you about God. Helen could not speak and she could not hear. You know what her response was in sign language? Good. I have been thinking about God for a long time. She had never heard about God, but it was in her heart that hole that needed to be filled to know about our great God and about our Redeemer. Human, pe human beings need to worship God. Genuine worship inspires the worshiper. There is something inspirational and encouraging about singing praises together and hymns together with other believers. Isn't this great today? There is something cleansing about taking communion and praying for forgiveness and renewal while surrounded by believers who are doing 
the same thing. There is something uplifting about the hearing the truth of God's word expounded before an assembly of listeners. There is something inspiring about seeing people respond to the message of God and giving their lives and their hearts to God and being buried with him in Christian baptism. I know Mike used this scripture last week, but I want to repeat it. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Look around this morning. Isn't it wonderful to worship with one another? But there's some here who should be here worshiping God with us. We need to call them and let them know that we love them, but most of all that God loves them and spur them on to good works. Let's close this morning by looking at four legitimate expectations for worship. First of all, as we've mentioned over and over so far this morning, we should expect the sense of the awesome presence of God. Again, going back to um, Isaiah in the sixth chapter in the first verse. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. The song puts it surely this way, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Worship should convey a deep respect for the holiness of God the majesty of God, and the joy and the all power of the Almighty in our midst. And then another expectation we should have from worship is a sense of our own humility and sinfulness. Isaiah said then, as we go on in the third verse, Woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Why did Isaiah confess his sin? Because he felt he was in the presence of the Lord Almighty. The closer we get to God, the more we see our frailty and our failures and want to do something about them. Paul recognized himself in 1 Timothy 1.15 as the worst of all sinners because he had persecuted the church of the living God. Paul Eshelman, the man responsible for distributing millions of copies of the Jesus film around the world tells about an incident that happened in Mozambique on the southeast coast of Africa. The film was being shown to a small group of people, and as they were watching it, they fell in love with the Jesus of the film. When he was arrested, beaten, and led away to be crucified, they began to weep and wail, and many rushed towards the screen. 
they begin to kick up the dirt and cry in anguish and fall on their knees and confess their sins. And this went on for about a half an hour. Many of the film members tried to console the group, but they also fell to their knees and they also confessed their sins. One of them said the sense of God's presence, his power, and his holiness was so great that no one could do anything but confess sin. When you experience the presence of God, you cannot help but see your own sinful state. But also we should expect, again, a joyful reminder of the grace of God. Again, going back to Isaiah in that sixth chapter, the sixth and seventh verse, he says, Then one of the seraphims flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar, which he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sins atoned for. Isaiah had said, I'm of, of a people of unclean lips, and he was cleansed by a hot coal by the angel. But you know, we have a much more powerful cleansing than that, don't we? 1 John 1.7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sin. Amen. The blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sin. Paul Eshelman continues the story. The movie was turned on after about 30 minutes, and the people came to realize that that was not the end of the story. The Christ who died arose from the dead. Death could not hold its prey. O grave, where is thy victory? It's been taken away by the grace of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When these natives saw this, how the story ended, they began cheering and chanting and dancing and hugging one another and jumping up and down. It was like a dam had burst. When the invitation was given for people to accept Christ, everyone in the crowd responded. The following Sunday, 500 new believers showed up for this 40-member church in the wilderness. We should be reminded of God's grace. Jesus paid the price for our sins, not by our own holiness, but by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his blood, we can stand holy before God. And then last, worshiping God should give us an inspiration to serve. In Isaiah 6, 8, it goes on to say, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And what was Isaiah's response? Here am I, Lord. Send me. What is your response this morning as we worship God together? Here am I, Lord. Send me. 
a sign used to be posted. I can't remember what church building it was in. Maybe you've seen them before. But the sign says, enter to worship, depart to serve. The reason we come together is to be edified and glorify God, to give us strength to serve him for another week. When someone comes to a church seeking God, he should leave an entirely different person. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. When Jesus is exalted, people are attracted. Let us pray. Father in heaven, how powerful is your word, sharper than any weapon that man has ever known, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to cut into our heart, our soul, and our being, helping us to discern sin and helping us to see the presence of God and helping us to fall on our knees in holiness and praise and thanksgiving. Oh God, you are a mighty God. You have truly set yourself above all. The power of your word, we cannot even imagine how powerful that is, dear God, as the psalmist tells us in the 29th Psalm. And as we learn from creation that by the word of the Lord, heaven and earth and all things were created. Help us, Father, as we've been here today to lift you up in worship and praise and thanksgiving. Help us, Father, to be more consecrated and dedicated to you as we leave this place this morning. Above all, may your son, Jesus Christ, be exalted. In his name we pray, amen. So as we conclude our service, as we know what a mighty God we serve, we want to give you an opportunity. If anybody has not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, we're going to be singing the wonderful cross and give you an opportunity to accept him. The baptistry ready, all things are ready. Won't this be the day of salvation? Won't this be the day that you begin a wonderful walk with our Savior? and join with us as we praise and worship God. Won't you stand? Won't you come? <laughs>